So an invasion into Ukraine by Russia looks pretty imminent. I mean, of course, we have no idea what's really going through Vladimir Putin's head, but it's looking pretty dire. President Biden has requested a summit with Vladimir Putin, but only if Putin does not invade before they have a chance to hold the summit. So you listen to me, Vladimir If you want to meet with me, then you better not invade. You know, Biden really has Putin right where he wants him. If you invade, then I'm going to cancel our meeting. I'm sure that Putin is shaking. Here's the thing. Putin right now has the entire world wrapped around his little pinky. And this is exactly what he was hoping. Everybody's sitting there. What's Vladimir going to do? What is he going to invade? When is he going to invade? How do we stop him? And yet, you know what? Do you know that Biden is still not imposing sanctions on Russia. Do you know that Vladimir Zelensky, president of Ukraine, has is begging Biden, please impose sanctions on Putin, put sanctions on Russia before it's too late. And Biden refuses to. Anthony Blinken, secretary of state, he says, no, 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 not until the bombs are actually dropping on Ukraine, not until the bombs are coming down. Are we going to impose sanctions? No sanctions until Putin actually bombs Ukraine. How does that make any sense? I mean, you imagine if Trump had said that, can you imagine the media would be in a tailspin? The media would go berserk. And here's what Joe Saki said. She actually said this with a straight face. She said, no, no, Biden's strategy is to wait to impose sanctions until they start a war. She says, you've got to wait for the war to begin. How absurd is this? You've got to wait for the war to begin before you can impose sanctions. So a Fox News reporter challenged her and asked her, Why not impose the sanctions now before the war? And she said, no, no, no. The threats are the deterrent. The sanctions are not the deterrent. This is just totally, she's out of her mind. The threats are the deterrent, not the sanctions. The sanctions are not a deterrent. Here's an actual quote from Saki. Quote, if you put all the sanctions in place now, what is stopping them from invading? That's a direct quote from Jen Saki. How clueless is she? The sanctions, Jen, the sanctions are supposed to keep on going. It's not like you you slap the sanctions on like this week and then that's it. No more sanctions. If I prevent you from earning money for the next 10 years, if I make it impossible, if I freeze your bank accounts for the next 10 years, you cannot bring in a dime. You're eventually going to starve. It's not like after a month, oh, well, the sanctions are already in place. So now I can just ignore them. What you do is you put the sanctions on. You cripple Vladimir Putin and Russia with sanctions if if you weren't so afraid of him. And then what you do is you literally choke him. Uh, economically, uh, like they did, with, like Trump did with Iran, and then you say, "Listen, you want you want me to remove the sanctions? Then then don't invade or get out of Ukraine if you've already invaded or whatever." But the point is that the sanctions you could put them on now. It's not like you need to hold them out for later. Do you know that if Reagan? Imagine if Reagan had said that Reagan he crippled the Soviet Union with sanctions. Imagine if Reagan had said, "You know what? We can't put any sanctions. We have to wait until." They attack. I mean, like we literally would all be speaking Russian right now. There would have been like a nuclear war if 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 Reagan had waited for the missiles to come before imposing sanctions on the Soviet Union. Meanwhile, Chuck Todd on Meet the Press asked Anthony Blinken, why did Putin not try to invade under Trump? Why did he wait until now? Why did he do it under Obama? But he never tried to invade Ukraine under Trump. Give credit to Chuck Todd asking a semi-tough question there. Blinken clearly was unprepared. Listen to this clip. Previous one. Why do you think he didn't act then? I hope you get a chance to ask him. Um, but 
<laughs> so, Lincoln, not much to say there. Now, it's very the answer is very simple. We know the answer, and Chuck Todd even knows the answer, because Putin knew that he could never get away with this under Trump. Putin knew he was afraid of Trump because he knew that Trump would retaliate. Now he knows exactly what's taking place before our eyes, which is that Biden is cowering in fear. Biden's way too intimidated to try anything, even sanctions against Vladimir Putin. He's afraid of any confrontation, any sort of conflict, any sort of tension. You know, so, and, and, and by the way, even so, that's the reason that Putin did not try this under Trump, because Trump was strong. Biden is weak. Now, Blinken actually said he said, it's my job to do everything possible to avoid war as, as a diplomat, top diplomat in the United States. Now, he's he's technically maybe right, but you don't say that. He might be right. It could be the Secretary of State's job is to be the diplomat and try to avoid war, but you don't you're, you're giving away all your cards. You're not supposed to say it and talk that way because then you what are you telling Vladimir Putin? You're saying we're going to bend over backward. We're going to do everything possible. We're so afraid. And how, what do you do? What do you do? What are you doing when you when you basically say, listen, we have to we need peace at all costs. We need to avoid conflict at all costs. Then you're basically telling Putin you can invade because we're not going to retaliate. So you're literally inviting war. And, and that's the irony. And the other irony of all this is remember how for years they told us that Trump was the one colluding with Russia. And yet Putin never tried anything under Trump because he knew that Trump was not really his friend. He knew that. And Trump was never colluding with Russia. And and under Biden, Putin is getting away with literal murder here. And the media is totally silent. All right. The Wall Street Journal reports that jurors in the Sarah Palin trial, they knew the judge was going to throw out the case before they rendered their verdict. What happened was the judge dismissed the case. The judge threw out the case, said that Sarah Palin failed to prove that the New York Times acted with malice, right? That was the ruling. And before it had a chance to be ruled by a jury, which can you explain that one to me? What was the judge afraid of? Well, it, it, let the jury, if the judge really believed that there was no proof of malice, then let the jury judge that for themselves. Obviously, the judge was afraid that the jury had a different conclusion. But here's the thing. The judge let the jury know. The judge said, let the jury rule anyway, because in case there's an appeal, let the jury actually render a verdict, even though I'm throwing out the case. So the, 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 in other words, the verdict of the jury was irrelevant in this trial because the judge dismissed the case before the jury had a chance to rule. But then he still said, let the jury play out here and render a verdict. Here's the problem. The problem is, that according to the Wall Street Journal, they knew. They knew the judge was throwing out the case. They're actually jurors who said, oh, yeah, we knew. We were aware that the judge, it's not like they just found out through the news. The judge actually somehow informed them or hinted to them that he was going to throw out the case. Now, as I said, the verdict of the judge, the verdict of the jury in the end was that the Times was not guilty of defamation. Um, but here's the thing. It's such a bogus verdict because, like I said, they were aware but they say it did not impact their deliberations. The jury says, yeah, we knew the judge. This is literally the Wall Street Journal. We knew the judge was going to throw out the case before we deliberated, finished our deliberations and and issued a verdict. But that knowledge did not impact our verdict in any way or our deliberations. How could it not? How could it possibly not impact the verdict? You have a Clinton-appointed judge, no surprise, took took the case away from the jury. Why not just let it play out? Obviously, he was afraid that the jury would rule in Zara Palin's favor. Obviously, the jury, you know, the judge felt that there was something here that the jury might have seen that would actually uh, rule against the times. And uh, here's the thing. Palin's going to appeal. And I would think that this verdict will be tossed out and they're going to have a completely new trial because the verdict of the jury is clearly biased. And uh, 
how, you know, how, what, why did the judge get involved? Look, I don't know. You never know. And who knows what kind of appeals court she's going to get. We'll have to wait and see. The federal government collected record tax revenue once again. The federal government set another record for income tax revenue. That's in the first four months of this fiscal year. The first four months are October through January of 2022. The fiscal year starts in October. And uh, the federal government, yet another, we keep seeing this one record after the next in terms of federal income tax revenue. And what's the significance of that? We know because after after the Trump tax cuts, and it was a massive tax cut, remember how the Democrats told us that there wouldn't be enough income tax revenue. I don't care, by the way. I don't care if there's not enough income tax revenue. Cut spending. You know, too bad. But the point is that there still is, that Trump actually, uh, his Trump tax cuts actually increased revenue, as, and we've seen that happen many times in the past because it boosts the economy. So the federal government collected a record $1.5 trillion in taxes in the first four months of fiscal 2022, and the government spent more than any other year during this time period except for last year, except for last year. So almost a record in spending, but a record in tax collection. While the the government was collecting $1.5 trillion, the government was spending $1.7 trillion. That's a deficit that ran a deficit of $258 billion. So the $1.7 trillion for those first four months, that is the second most ever spent in that period. And Elon Musk, Elon Musk actually... Um, put out a tweet a few days ago about the national debt. And Elon Musk, he's a man who knows a thing or two about economics and about finance, uh, the wealthiest man on the planet. And Elon Musk says that something has to give here. He says the national debt, it cannot just go on. The national debt recently uh, exceeded $30 trillion. What a milestone. Everybody, be, let's pop the champagne. Very exciting. And I'll blame Trump for this as well because Trump liked to borrow, kept borrowing and borrowing. Like it, like they all do. Nothing, nothing particularly unique about Trump versus every other politician. But I was hoping that he would, you know, cut the national debt a little bit. But uh, that did not take place. And now, of course, Biden, the spending addiction continues and the borrowing addiction continues. So we we exceeded thirty trillion dollars in national debt. And um, Elon Musk says he says it's not it's, that that's a bogus number. He says because it doesn't count all the entitlements, the unfunded entitlements. In other words, the government owes trillions and trillions of dollars. You know, whether it's Social Security or whether, you know, there are other entitlements where the government owes money to Americans and that money is not funded. So literally, here's a quote from Elon Musk's tweet, quote, true national debt, including unfunded entitlements, is at least 60 trillion dollars, 60 trillion, double the 30 trillion dollars, because they don't count that. It all depends. They always play these shady games with the numbers. So it's 60 trillion. The government owes 60 trillion dollars. So Musk says that is roughly three times the size of the entire U.S. economy. Something has got to give. And uh, does anybody in Washington want to cut spending or cut the national debt? I mean, there's literally one person in the entire Washington, D.C. who discusses it, Rand Paul, and he becomes like marginalized. They like turn him into a laughingstock. He becomes ridiculed because he actually wants to balance the budget. Oh, wow. Balance the budget. Like, imagine if you were like in hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt in, in, in your household and like somebody come in, an accountant came in and said, you know what? I, I think we should maybe balance the budget. I think we should maybe, you know, work things out. So you only spend the amount of money you're bringing in. You just laughed him at it. Oh, well, come on. What are you trying to pull? You know, what silly games are you trying to play? play? I, I, I earn $100,000 a year and I spend $180,000 a year What's the problem with that? Why are you trying to change my lifestyle and just laugh him out of the house? All right, that's going to do it for today, and we will see you next time.